name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Please sit. It would be very easy to gloss over the first story that we heard from Genesis today. Joseph forgives his brothers. They all have a big cry, and everything is fine now. He takes care of his family for the rest of their lives in Egypt with the abundance that God has provided. What a great end to that story. Unfortunately, what we didn't get was the beginning of the story, which many of you know, I'm sure. This is Joseph of the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Joseph, whose brothers beat him up, toss him in a hole, then sell him to the first group of foreigners that goes walking by. He gets carted off to Egypt, ends up in jail, and eventually God restores his fortune. But it takes a while, a long while. And in the meantime, his brothers have dipped his fancy, many-colored coat in goat's blood to try and convince their father that he is dead. Good story. You get none of that in the part that we heard today. It just sounds so nice. They're all forgiven and everything's fine. Imagine how hard that would be to forgive. You consider the times in your own life when you have needed forgiveness and when you have needed to figure out how to forgive someone else. That specific story may not have happened to you. If it has, I'm interested. Please tell me. <laughs> but all of us have moments and seasons and stories of our own when we need forgiveness and when we need to figure out how to offer someone else forgiveness. And the part of the story that we hear in Genesis makes it seem like it's really easy. But it's not. It's really not. Forgiveness is tough. Tough to receive sometimes, to admit that we need it and sometimes even tougher to give. The trouble is that Jesus' passage today is even harder than that one. Jesus goes about eight steps further than Joseph's. Joseph is ready to forgive everything that's happened, but Jesus goes ahead and gives us this almost handbook, almost tutorial on what the faithful life looks like. And it's not an easy life. It's not an easy list of things we're supposed to do. In fact, I like to call this gospel the extra mile gospel because you just have to keep going and going and going. I mean, listen to this. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Somebody hits you, give them the other cheek and don't hit them back. Just let them hit you again. They take your coat, give them your shirt. Love everyone, not just the people who love you. Forgive everyone. Don't judge. Don't condemn. My goodness, it's a whole list. You can get tired just thinking about that list. Not to mention, who in their right mind signs up for that? Who in their right mind chooses to live that way? Surely that's the work of a whole lifetime. This week, I had to go do something that I sometimes grumble about doing. Once a month, I have to go spend a whole day with my colleagues in the diocese who are also in the first year of a new call. And I usually sort of grumble about the drive and about the fact that I'm not in the office all day because it frustrates me. But this week there were two pieces. Well, the truth is there's always two pieces, but in particular they struck me this week. One is that we always worship together. So for the 
first time in a while I got to do what you're doing right now, and that posture is important. But more than that, we always spend together about an hour looking at the gospel text for the coming Sunday. So on Thursday, this group of priests sat around a room and we spent an hour looking at this text together. Now, by Thursday, the sermon that I think I'm going to preach on Sunday is pretty much done. It's crystallized, it's kind of in my head, I might tinker with it, but it's pretty much done. One of my colleagues said something on Thursday that totally messed that all up for me, and I had to rewrite it, and I wasn't finished until about 5 o'clock this morning. And what she said was, she thinks that most of us can walk through life generally doing the moral thing, the right thing, choosing to be a good person. And if you took that, that generally good, nice, moral, ethical person and put them in a court of law, you would have a tough time convicting them of being Christian. Because a lot of the time there isn't a whole lot of evidence. And what she meant was, that most people like to live a good, moral, thoughtful, kind life. Most people like to think that we like to do the right thing. We take care of the people around us. We try to be honest and forthright. But there's more to the Christian life, isn't there? At least in this list. When you have to think about going the extra mile, there's a lot more to it. And so I've spent the last couple of days thinking about what the evidence would be. If you took someone into a courtroom and tried to convict them of being Christian, but they couldn't say it out loud and they couldn't tell you about it, what would the evidence of their faith be? How would people know? And that made me think of a song that I grew up singing that probably you all grew up singing too. They will know we are Christians by our love. Right? Some of you are nodding. And that's a reference to John 13.35, when Jesus tells the disciples that the world around them will know who they are and will know that they are his disciples if they learn to love each other the way that he loved them. Which also is a tall order. And not a lot easier, in fact, maybe not at all easier than the list we get in Jesus' sermon today. Because he is preaching here. This is his sermon. His love that he invites the disciples to figure out how to live into is love we know that is ultimately sacrificial. Love that does more than go the extra mile. Love that lays itself down for others. And so that's the love he's inviting us to be so rooted in, to be transformed by, that we learn to lay down our life for the people around us and According to this passage, not just for the people who love us, but for everyone, for all of our neighbors. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Neighbor being a broad category that Jesus explains in other places, basically saying everyone is your neighbor, and especially the people who are left out and cast out and pushed aside. Those people especially are your neighbor. So the invitation of this text is to figure out how to love people like that. And not just the people who love us, but everybody. That is the evidence 
of a Christian life. That is the thing that gives us away without us having to say it. If someone just looks at the way that we live, if we're doing it right, that is what gives us away. That our love does these things. That it doesn't hit back. That it seeks to end violence and oppression and hurt. That it seeks to lift up the people who have been cast out and that ultimately we are willing to choose always the other person's good over our own. That is a very, very difficult job description. And yet, it is the job description that we inherit in baptism. And we're about to baptize somebody in a couple of minutes. And what he will inherit is the promise of the gospel. The promise that you heard from Paul this morning, that when this body dies, there is another life stored up for us. That there is eternal life. That at baptism, what we are given is the image of the man from heaven. And that that is only the beginning of the journey. That if we walk down that road, being fed by word and sacrament, sharing in the life of a Christian community, making little choices and sometimes big choices here and there, the promise is that we slowly get transformed, changed from flesh and blood into the image of the man who comes from heaven. Changed and transformed more and more into the stature of Christ. That's what we inherit at baptism. We inherit the work of building the kingdom and we inherit eternal life. It's hard work, though. And I think the reason this day starts with that story of forgiveness is because that piece actually is central to the whole thing. We have to learn how to forgive the people around us, how to accept their forgiveness, and also to ask for God's forgiveness. Somewhere in there, there's a deep-rooted sense of love of God and love of neighbor and a desire to live in right relationship. So this morning I ask you to consider the places in your life where you feel like you need to forgive someone. And maybe the places in your life where you feel like you need to still be forgiven for something. I ask you to consider that. And then to make some steps to invest in those relationships with the people around you and with God, because remember, the gospel ends by saying, the measure you give will be the measure you get back. And I'd invite you to remember that the good news is that in your baptism, you are claimed as Christ's own forever. And there is nothing for which you cannot be forgiven, and nothing, can, that, nothing that can stop that love that will always come for you and will always save you. Amen.